Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we make our way through this Thanksgiving week. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk weather patterns here and in South America with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. We'll also be talking about the biofuels industry going back to court, seeking more legal action against EPA to get EPA to move on some key issues concerning biofuels. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. And we'll talk markets today with Naomi Bloom, senior market advisor for Stuart Peterson. All that coming up on today's program. But we started off with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. And let's see, Todd, I told you I would not talk football with you today because I, I don't want to... I don't want to make you feel bad about your Huskers. So let's let's move on to some other other stories. Uh, the the wow. ethanol story is a big one as uh, as the biofuels industry is just uh, continually frustrated by EPA and going the legal route once again to try to get them to move. Yeah, Mike. It really you know it's been a mystery. You know, back in 2016, uh, you know the court well, it was 2017. The court had ruled that uh, EPA had violated the RFS in waiving about 500 million gallons. Um, and each year since then, EPA has kind of skirted the issue. You know, they really haven't gone back and and uh, reinstalled those gallons. You know, the court ordered it, and now we've got uh, a number of these ag groups and ethanol groups going back to that same court and trying to force uh, force EPA's hand on this. It really, It really is kind of... Um, you know, I don't know how often this happens, but it, it seems very unusual uh, that a court issues a ruling and then, you know, a receiving agency doesn't respond to it. And then the people who fought it in court have to go back to court to get the court to take some action. I, I don't know that I've ever heard of this happening. And I think, uh, you know, it's just kind of indicative of where we are. You know, we're still waiting on the EPA uh, to release 2021 volumes for the RFS. Uh, in fact, the deadline's in six days, and we haven't even seen a proposal. And so, um, you know, here we go. We're still fighting in court, and we're waiting to see if that's going to go anywhere. Somehow I don't think you or I could just uh, ignore a court ruling. No, I, you know, I don't think so. In fact, I, I, would, I would be pretty nervous and pretty concerned about <laughs> my future welfare if I decided to do that. Yeah, it's really, it's really yeah. strange. Meanwhile... There's a lot of talk about uh, carbon markets, a carbon bank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of been down this road before. You hear about opportunities for farmers, but uh, we've seen how this has worked in the past and hasn't worked out all that well. Are you? What are you hearing on this? How it might be different this time? Uh, farmers' level of interest, uh, willingness to engage in this. What, what do you think we'll see this time? Well, you know, Mike, it's interesting when you look back on the, the Obama years. You know, there was a lot of talk in, in, on this on this front. Uh, you know, we saw states that tried to implement some of this, uh, different alliances put together, and you're right, nothing really came on a massive scale. Um, I think what could be different this time is we've got these ag groups on board with this new alliance that was announced. Um, and one of the things that's been talked about is creating an actual carbon bank using the credit 
Commodity Credit Corporation, uh, that part of this would be quite a bit different. Now, where, you know, the money would come from to, to go to CCC and, uh, you know, as well as in, instituting future tax credits on sequestration, uh, it's, it's really hard to say. But I do think that agriculture this time, ethanol, uh, they're right out in front on this. You know, they've been talking for some time that they are part of the solution. Uh, we've seen lots of farmers adopting uh, no-till practices and other and other types of practices, uh, even without being made to do so. And so I think I think agriculture is in a better spot than what it was, say, you know, ten or twelve years ago. Seems like last time we got into cap and trade and things like that, yeah. and it was kind of hard hard to see how farmers were going to benefit from it. There were a lot of people kind of lined up that had figured out how they were going to benefit from it, but it didn't seem like it was going to be farmers all that much. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one uh, plays out. Meanwhile, the uh, the speculation game over who's going to fill certain spots in a Biden administration continues, and we continue to wait to see what happens with Secretary of Agriculture. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that's interesting, uh, Martha Fudge, representative, I believe, from Illinois, uh, it seems like she's starting to get some support from unions and other people as, as the next ag secretary. Now, uh, you know, we really haven't heard a lot of names put out there. Uh, I thought it was interesting this time around so far. Uh, Tom Vilsack's name really hasn't been mentioned either, and I think uh, you know, we we saw with his term in the Obama administration, he did quite a good job for agriculture. I think uh, he's someone that the, the ag community would accept. Um, but no, there just aren't a lot of names. And I, I think, uh, although, you know, the Biden administration or the incoming Biden administration is, is starting to put more names out there for different cabinet posts and so on. So maybe we'll uh, we'll be hearing more in the next week or so. Yeah, Marsha Fudge from Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Uh, seemingly have a... Yeah, have some uh, role to play in this one way or another. Uh, we the, Heidi Heitkamp is the name we hear the most, uh, and we've heard you know some people v- very high on right. her, and others pushing back against her. Yeah, you know she's uh, the latest I've heard from her is that a lot of a lot of environmental groups came out against her and said that she was uh, uh, you know quite involved with the oil and oil interests and that sort of thing. So uh, you're right, there's been quite a pushback on her. Um, so we'll see how it goes. So far, Martha Fudge to this point has not had uh, any pushback that I can see. We'll also watch and see, we've talked about this before, will there be a move to change the waters of the U.S., the new rule, back to the old rule? Yeah, and I, I think it's quite possible. You know, um, I think when you look at the 2015 rule, you know, obviously agriculture didn't like it, but there were a lot in the environmental community who uh, fought hard to keep that rule in place, um, you know, and still to this day, there's there's a fight with the water rule, the new water rule that came out from the Trump administration. Um, I do think that we'll see a yet another attempt in a Biden administration to uh, to change the rule again. I don't know what that would look like. I suspect it would look quite a bit like the 2015 Lotus rule. Uh, but then again, who knows? I do think that uh, you know, with the Biden push on green initiatives and that sort of thing, I think every bit of uh, everything that goes on at EPA and USDA is going to be quite different. Lots to watch. Uh, there are indications that uh, Joe Biden wants to go back to the get back into the Paris Climate Accord that uh, Donald Trump pulled us out of. And we'll also be watching to see if uh, President-elect Biden gets us back into 
the TPP conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, TPP, I think a lot of people in agriculture uh, were disappointed when, when the Trump administration pulled out of TPP. Uh, you know, there were some really uh, possible good uh, good connections that were being made in that that would benefit agriculture. Uh, you know, since then, the Trump administration's kind of gone at it one country at a time. And so, yeah, you know, I think TPP is going to come back into the discussion quite honestly. All right, Todd, have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. You too, Mike. Thank you. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Remember the DTN Ag Summit coming up December 7th, 8th, and 9th. It's a virtual event. Go to our website, Adams on Agriculture, for a chance to win free registration. Back with more. Stay with us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I've seen a lifetime of farming, and the one thing you can count on is change. So, now there's a new inoculant for soybean growers from Lalman Plant Care. The new rhizobium species and unique technology in Lalfix Pro Yield Liquid Soybean deliver improved nitrogen fixation and iron uptake. I've seen a lot of change, but this, well, this changes everything. Contact your Lalman sales representative today. Come experience the virtual DTN 2020 Ag Summit December 7th through 9th. Challenging times demand that you reevaluate your operations. The DTN Ag Summit will focus on ways you can build a more resilient business to farm strong. General sessions and in-depth breakouts will connect you virtually with farmers and financial experts. Have some fun and network with top farmers around the world. The DTN Ag Summit December 7th through 9th. Register at dtn.com forward slash ag summit. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. 
Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, I want to talk weather patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, good to have you back with us. Uh, we're, we're getting some some moisture moving across uh, the country. Not not big amounts, but a little bit. Every little bit helps, uh, as dry as it is. Um, is that kind of the pattern you see? Nothing big, just these uh, little showers here and there? Well, you're you're right uh, that this is a beneficial rain. I was just looking through some of the amounts, and there's some places in northern Missouri, southern Iowa, that are up around an inch. So that's that's fairly beneficial for a place mm-hmm. that has some dry soils too. Um, but yeah, this system is going to continue across the next couple of days, and then work its way to the east coast over Thanksgiving, and bring some some helpful rainfall. Yes. Uh, but no, uh, no real game changers per se um, to to our whole situation. You know, so maybe some inch plus amounts in areas, uh, some snow on the north side of it. Um, but uh, you know, so so it, it's beneficial. It helps get some moisture in the soil, but it's not going to fix a lot of the the issues in some of the dry soil areas, unfortunately. Yeah, not not what you'd consider something to really, uh, you know. Uh, charge up those subsoil moistures that are in many areas depleted but uh, yeah every little bit helps certainly so is this part then of the la nina pattern or or what is the latest on la nina oh man uh it's a real you bring it up a really interesting question uh, a couple things about this is uh this is is somewhat la nina ish because we would expect some additional uh, the storm track kind of in the Ohio River Valley area tends to be a bit more active during La Nina winters. Uh, but we're also seeing some pretty good precipitation amounts along in the southeast, you know, along the Gulf Coast area, which is very un-La Nina-like. Uh, and the pattern looking ahead, uh, you know, so is the next couple, three-ish weeks or whatever, you know, is, is continuing that uh, it looks almost more like a like an El Nino, the opposite phase than La Nina. You know, typically what we expect during La Nina winters are the you know the southern U.S. Uh, tends to be uh, drier uh, because the subtropical jet is less active, so fewer storm systems cross the southern U.S. and it tends to be warmer then because it's it's you know it's not as much precipitation. And uh, the upper Midwest can be a bit more active, especially over the Great Lakes area, but. Uh, what we're seeing over the, the near term is, uh, you know, the southeast, the southern U.S. is going to stay uh, wetter, and the Ohio Valley is somewhat wetter, while the northern plains is still going to remain relatively dry. So really not much going on for them up there. And on the temperature side, it's, uh, you know, there are a few periods of cold that will be coming through, but right now no big cold events, no uh, no big, long-lasting cold events uh, we're seeing in the offing. And, you know, right now the computer models into 
well into December are still staying a bit on the warm side, especially over the, the central U.S. The southeast U.S., may, because of the other precipitation, may stay um, cooler, but the, the central and north central U.S. look like they're going to stay relatively warm. So nicer for the beginning of winter, but again, not much, uh, not much moisture for helping out the soil moisture situation. Do La Ninas tend to kind of shift uh, directions in the course of the of the La Nina, or they pretty much stick on a track? Well, you bring up an interesting question because it's another thing to talk about, and I should have mentioned earlier. We're not into the, the main part of winter where we would expect the La Nina conditions to be most effective. And some of the national uh, the national forecasters have been talking about, uh, you know, La Nina really acting more like itself later in the winter. So we've, we've got some time before it can start doing that yet. The other thing is, it, it's not a, because we're talking about changes in sea surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific, that's quite a ways away from us. Uh, so there are influences over the U.S., especially in the wintertime, and, and some of those that are closer to the Pacific can be more more directly influenced. But especially in the north-central U.S., there's other things that can influence or, or the, the, the patterns that are changed during La Nina have to go through a couple other pieces of the atmosphere, say, you know, getting into the North Pacific and coming across the, you know, coming across the, uh, the, the, the mountains into the, U, into the central U.S. So there's several things that can affect it along the way. So that the, the, the conditions of a La Nina are, are really not direct, and it's really not like, oh, La Nina, here's what's going to happen. It's La Nina, and it changes the probabilities a bit, but there's still a lot of things that can happen related to this. We've been looking at other, other La Nina years, and uh, some, some colleagues in NOAA created a really nice graphic that showed the strongest La Nina years over the last 50 years. And there are some definite patterns you can see, but there are some really big differences, especially on some of the strongest ones. And it does look like this La Nina is going to be on the stronger side. That you're close to a 50-50 bet in the north central U.S., whether you're warmer or colder in the situation. So right now it looks like we may end up being warm, uh, on the warm side anyway, initially. And there's been a few years, uh, 98, 99, 99, 2000, were very strong La Nina events. And both of those winters ended up being quite warm. I remember getting a Christmas tree with a sweatshirt on in, in central Iowa in, 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 you know, in December of one of those years. So um, it's not behaving itself right now. There's lots of things still to play, still a lot of winter to go along. But right now, you know, it's, it's not looking like what we would call a traditional lending anymore. So we'll stay tuned on that one. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, what about the weather pattern in South America? They've had some dry conditions there. And, you know, La Niña's would have a stronger influence in South America because they are closer to where those changes are occurring. And, uh, you know, from, uh, I don't have a chance to follow South America quite as much as, as, I, as I should probably. But, yeah, you are right that it, it's looking like some of that dry area is going to continue to stay dry in there uh, with limiting the conditions. Because South America is close to where those changes are occurring, uh, the relationships are much clearer up in that there than they are, say, uh, up, up in the, north, uh, the northern hemisphere. So places that are dry down there, I'd say, have a pretty good chance of staying that way for the time being anyway. 
We'll be watching that for sure. Dennis, and finally, your thoughts uh, on climate change. Not asking you if you think it's man-made or naturally occurring. Just what you see with climate changes that are going on and, and certainly how they impact agriculture and may moving forward. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, it, it, it largely depends on where you are in the country, some of the issues that you are seeing. But, you know, when, when, when I go out and talk to people, hopefully when we get out to talking to people in person, you bring this up and say, well, what do you see in change in agriculture? Most regularly, God, it's getting wetter. You know, we get more rainfalls, bigger rainfalls, um, and especially in some of those, uh, you know, some of the transition seasons, spring and fall, which cause real issues for agriculture. Uh, you know, wet springs have been a very frequent issue. You know, this year, we were very concerned this year going in that we're going to be a, a repeat of that. And then we've had actually a number of very wet falls. This fall was actually a blessing uh, compared to some of the other ones and some of the wet falls. Um, but definitely uh, precipitation patterns changing, bigger precipitation, causing real issues with soil also. You know, bigger soils at those times of year when we don't have soils covered, um, that's a great way to lose a lot of soil and a lot of nutrients. That's why the idea of cover crops and reducing tillage and all these sorts of things are something we, we really encourage because that soil resource is the most important thing that you have in agriculture. So you've got to make sure you maintain that and care for that as much as possible. Temperatures are changing, definitely. Um, we're getting warmer in the upper Midwest, but the warming is, is occurring in different ways. Um, more of our cold season, you know, more warming in the winter. And then we are seeing warming in the summer, but it's being driven more by minimum temperatures, our overnight temperatures and our daytime highs. So we don't have as many 100-degree days as we used to, but we do have more low to mid 90s days with 70 75 dew points so it's not as hot hot but from a uh, hot humidity standpoint we're seeing an increase in that way and then our overnights are, are, are being very warm too which is pushing some of our changes in the way how crops deal with things how they work through phenology uh so these are all things that we work with in the climate hub and helping people understand these and try to adapt to them as they, as they start to occur um, so, um, you know, that's, that's what we do. That's a longer conversation. We'd love to have with people sometime, but, uh, that's the short version of it right now. Yeah. Well, I look forward to talking with you, uh, more about that in the future. That's it. That's interesting. Dennis, thanks a lot. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You guys too. I hope everyone has a good safe Thanksgiving. Take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, the biofuels, uh, industry taking legal action again to try to get EPA to respond to these court orders. We'll talk about it with Jeff Cooper next here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. 
The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. More legal action to try to get EPA to abide by past legal action. Let's talk about it with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, I know it's frustrating. You get court rulings in your favor. EPA doesn't um, doesn't seem to heed them, so you're going to try it again. Yeah, it really is frustrating and sort of ridiculous, Mike, uh, that we have to go back to the same court that issued an order three and a half years ago uh, to let them know that that order hasn't been complied with by EPA and, and that they need to intervene again. And, and you know, that it's, it's crazy, but that's exactly what we've been forced to do. I, as you know, we sued EPA all the way back in 2016 because they had inappropriately reduced the RFS requirements below the levels that appear in the law. We believed what they did was unlawful. Uh, and the D.C. Circuit Court agreed with us at that time and found in our favor in July of 2017. Uh, and the court ordered EPA to repair that damage by restoring 500 million gallons of inappropriately waived RFS blending requirements. Well, here we are three and a half years after that court ruling, and EPA still has not complied with that order. Uh, and we think it's just inexcusable. They've had multiple opportunities to address that court order and restore that volume but they've chosen not to do so. So, you know, we're tired of waiting. We're tired of the excuses we hear from EPA. So yesterday we did file yet another filing in the D.C. Circuit Court, uh, which basically gets us back in front of the court very quickly so we can let them know that that 2017 order has been ignored by EPA and gives us a chance to ask the court to intervene again and enforce its ruling. Yeah, so as I said, you're seeking legal action on a past legal action. So we'll see what happens here. And meanwhile, you're waiting for the 2021 levels to be set for the RFS. Yeah, that, that's right. We are still waiting for some some signal from EPA on what they intend to do with the 2021 
RFS volumes. Uh, typically, we'd be expecting a final rule in the next week uh, for the following year's uh, RFS volumes, uh, but we haven't even seen a proposal yet for the 2021 volumes. There's no way that EPA is going to have a final rule done before the end of the calendar year. Uh, it looks to us at this point like EPA is just going to uh, you know, leave this issue for the next administration to clean up. And, you know, once a Biden administration gets settled in and a new EPA administrator gets settled in, you know, it, it could take several months before we could see a 2021 RFS rule. And by that time, we're going to be well into the year. So yet another example of EPA shirking its responsibilities and, and sort of ignoring the law. And, and we just, you know, we can't let them get away with that. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, we know the impact that the COVID and the shutdown had this year on the ethanol industry. Now here we are with uh, infection rates uh, spiking again, more shutdowns taking place. Uh, Do you anticipate uh, similar damage to the ethanol industry that you experienced earlier in the year? Well, we, we sure hope not, Mike. I'm not sure we can we can uh, withstand another episode like we saw back in in March and April. Uh, but we are seeing uh, some some supply demand imbalance in the marketplace today. Um, we're beginning to see gasoline consumption really slip again um, as more people are staying at home, and we're you know seeing some partial closures and and restrictions. Um, we're certainly not expecting the kind of uh, travel bump around Thanksgiving that we, we historically see, have seen. Um, so there is some growing concern, and, and we've seen the, the crush margin in the ethanol industry really plummet the last week or, or 10 days or so, uh, and that is cause for concern. Um, and one wrinkle, you know, in this whole thing is we're also hearing now, you know, the very good news that, that we've got some vaccines on the horizon well, one of those vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, is going to require dry ice for distribution across the country. And guess where dry ice comes from? It comes from the CO2 that our ethanol industry is capturing. Uh, and if we have plants that are going offline or, or shutting down because uh, they're bleeding red ink, that's going to affect the CO2 supply. It's going to affect dry ice manufacturing at exactly at the time when that's needed to, to get this vaccine distributed. So, you know, all these little ripple impacts um, are things that uh, that need to be thought about, and, and we're asking our policymakers to pay attention to um, as we look at kind of the impacts of, of this next wave of, of, uh, of uh, shutdowns. Yeah, some of the people that have been critical of the ethanol industry are some of the same ones saying, oh, we need, we need dry ice to be able to pack this <laughs> vaccine, not even realizing maybe, or uh, maybe they do and they just have ignored it, that uh, they need the ethanol production to get the CO2 to get the dry ice. That, that's right. That's right. And, and a lot of those same people don't understand that, that it's our industry that is manufacturing the alcohol for hand sanitizer as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think that maybe the one silver lining in this whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic for the ethanol industry is we have opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that we make a lot more than fuel ethanol in this industry. And, and this industry is really essential to a well-functioning economy in the U.S. Uh, because, you know, we have so many tentacles in, in so many different areas, uh, including dry ice, including, you know, industrial and pharmaceutical-grade alcohol, um, the distiller's cranes, of course, corn oil that's used to make biodiesel and renewable diesel. So, 
Um, this, if nothing else, this this uh, pandemic has, I think, woken some people up uh, to to that fact. But uh, uh, you know, we're always going to be dealing with misinformation and misunderstanding about our industry. That's for sure. There's no doubt, Jeff. We're going to be hearing a lot more and seeing a bigger push on a lot of environmental issues, climate change issues, yep. uh, green green issues, and. I think of no doubt there's going to be a push to to move away from fossil fuels, and that's going to be a big part of the, this conversation in this country here the next uh, four years, probably. Anyway, uh, so the big yeah. question is, and we've talked about this a number of times: where do biofuels fit into this? It, it seems obvious they should have a big part to play, but are you concerned about being uh, left out or pushed at, pushed aside on this? Well, Mike, that's a great question, and we are already seeing uh, just a very rapid acceleration of the whole discussion around reducing carbon emissions and, and you know, um, getting to net zero emissions economy-wide by 2050. Um, that's been something that the, the Biden uh, folks have, have talked about. It's something that a lot of, of lawmakers in the House have talked about. Um, and so following the election, we've really seen those discussions kick into high gear, um, so we've been doing what, what we need to do, which is, you know, educating the environmental community, educating some of these uh, new lawmakers in the House and, and the Biden transition team that renewable fuels like ethanol are absolutely going to play a role in that transition to lower carbon fuels. Um, we've already seen it happen in states where you have low carbon fuel standards like California and Oregon. Uh, and it can certainly happen at the national level. So the, the real trick for us is just making sure that our policymakers and the people that they listen to, which in the next several years is going to be the environmental community, that they understand um, that we, we should not overlook uh, ethanol and other renewable fuels that can deliver immediate greenhouse gas emissions reductions uh, and, and you know try to leapfrog liquid fuels entirely and go to electric vehicles um, you know, we may end up with all electric vehicles some sometime far, far down the road. Uh, but, you know, before that happens and until that happens, we're going to be burning a lot of liquid fuels for several decades to come, and we ought to be increasing the use of our biofuels uh, to help reduce the emissions impacts of, of those liquid fuels. So that's our mission is, is just communicating and, and conveying that message. Uh, to the people who are going to be making decisions the next several years, uh, and we're already busy busy doing that uh, in the days following this uh, this election. Because some of these people just make it sound like let's just switch. We'll go. We'll do away with fossil fuels. Go to the electric and batteries and things like that. I mean, that's not even practical to think you could just flip that switch like that. And it and it seems to tend to overlook something we have right here to achieve what they said they want to achieve, and that is cleaner air uh, when you have the biofuels right. that could do it. That's exactly right, Mike. And, and I, I do think there is a, a growing recognition amongst the more level-headed and, and reasonable people in, in the environmental community that, that that is, in fact, the case. And that, um, you know, even if you started today with a very ambitious program uh, to, to get to an all-electric you know, all future, it's going to take uh, decades to, to get there. And, and so in the meantime, in the interim, we ought to be focusing on how can we clean up the liquid fuels that we have, how can we reduce not just greenhouse gas emissions, but, but other tailpipe emissions uh, that are harmful to human health. 
Uh, and ethanol is, is absolutely the best way and the lowest cost way uh, to do that in the near term. And so we just need to keep keep on that message. We're, we're making, you know, having some breakthroughs with certain audiences, and, and I think, um, you know, we're going to keep working hard to make sure that ethanol has a role in this transition to lower carbon fuels uh, moving forward. All right, uh, Jeff, always good to talk with you. Thank you for the update. Have a good Thanksgiving, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. As again, they seek more legal action to try to get EPA to abide by previous legal action on these uh, RFS levels uh, and past gallons that have been lost. So we'll see what happens there. A lot of um, encouraging news with the markets here at the end of the year and some strong export predictions being made. We're going to talk about all that with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Stuart Peterson Next. Her thoughts on the markets as we go through this winter and head to next spring. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're talking with Todd Diesel, a CHS crop nutrients expert, about crop nutrient decisions for 2021. Todd, with the harvest season wrapped up, and overall, for the most part, it did go pretty smoothly. What trends are we seeing this year in terms of fertilizer supply and pricing? 
Well, supply is quite adequate at this point, and I would say from a pricing standpoint, we suggest a grower refer to what I call the Fertilizer Affordability Index, which really you're just doing a comparison of crop nutrients to grain prices. And I ask the question, how many bushels of grain does it take to buy a ton of fertilizer? And going back over the last 10 years, if we look at current values for crop nutrients today, they're all below the 10-year average when compared to new crop grain. So in essence, growers can do their own local comparisons, but in most cases, probably an opportune time to build up nutrient levels in the soil. What information would you suggest farmers share with their crop advisors and crop input suppliers during post-harvest conversations? Well, Mike, the first thing is to make sure that they have a current soil test so nobody is guessing. And once you have that, communicate your planting intentions for next spring. I often say there is no shortage of crop nutrients, only a shortage of good discussions. So be sure to get with that local cooperative and make sure that they know what you need for next spring. That's Todd Diesel, a CHS crop nutrients expert. Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics. Maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere. Because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision. Never settle. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good to have Naomi Bloom back with us, Senior Market Advisor with Stuart Peterson. Naomi, thanks for joining us uh, with the market rally we've had here uh, during harvest and with uh, projections now of stronger exports, even stronger than expected. Are you bullish um, moving forward with these markets? I would say I'm very cautiously bullish. And the reason is because if you stop and look at where that soybean price got up to Yesterday, we hit that $12 target on a January contract, which is the price high from a few years back on these charts. So it's a very significant resistance point. Uh, same with corn, the 425 area up to 450 is very significant resistance on charts. So, yeah, there's definite shift in the marketplace from where we were this summer. We are set up for, for you know firm supportive prices for a while, but at the same time, 
Uh, now we're hearing talk of China maybe doing some cancellations for exports, and, and now there's a little bit of rain in the forecast for South America. So, yeah, the, the fundamentals have really shifted, but don't lose sight of the opportunities right in front of you right now. It's just amazing. I keep talking about this flipping of the script, but when I think back to the summer and where we are now, it's such a 180 turn here. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you look back at July USDA reports, we were at close to 2.7 billion bushel carryout for corn on our way to 3 billion bushel carryout had the weather not turned horrible during August. And with the soybeans, you know, we were near 400 million bushel carryout back then. And it looked like it was going to get bigger. And then all of a sudden, because of the August weather, the derecho storm, and then with Chinese buying that happened, holy cow, total, you hit the nail on the head, 180-degree shift. Price is working higher, and it's been a great opportunity for producers to partake on some of these opportunities for prices that we haven't seen in a long time. Most of the attention has been on soybeans. What are your thoughts on the corn market? Well, corn with carryout now at 1.7 billion bushels is well-supported going into 2021. Um, a lot of the corn market is watching two things right now, ethanol demand. And, and the reason we're watching that, of course, is if uh, we have another shutdown for COVID. And I think if we have a two-week shutdown, the market doesn't care. But if it goes into a four to a six-week shutdown, then that's really going to affect ethanol. So we're keeping an eye on that. We're watching that South American weather because, as you very well know, um, for that second crop, corn in Brazil, that accounts for 70% of their production. And so if they don't have just the right weather for that, that should keep prices supported heading into spring. And then keeping an eye on China, their imports continue to be stronger. But China has already said they want to do renegotiations with uh, Joe Biden, um, assuming he does become the president. So that's why you've seen China not really in the marketplace for the, for the past week, because I think they're going to wait and see if they can renegotiate some deals. They're going to negotiate. That's how they are. Are you recommending farmers be locking into some of these prices now? We have been talking about it, and I'm actually just going to send a message out to my clients um, after we finish up with our conversation to be aware of the values that are here and what it's going to take for prices to go higher than this and don't lose sight of the value that's here. So, yeah, look at some cash sales. Uh, we can talk about reownership strategies in case the weather stays dry in South America and prices can go higher. But just remember, if the rain comes in South America, if China starts to back away from some of these recent purchases, we're going to see a pretty big wave of profit taking. And it doesn't mean that the party is over. It just means that for a few weeks, prices have a setback. So yeah, I think you should be looking at Pricing opportunities for what you just harvested and looking at new crop prices, 410 on December 21 futures for corn and November 21 soybeans trading at the 1050 area. So that's a great value to get started on some sales for new crop because you just never know what's going to be around the corner. You've talked about watching South American weather and also dry concerns here in the U.S. as we go into winter. Yeah, that is definitely a conversation starter. I think of the folks out west uh, specifically, they need that winter snowpack to come, so that way it helps with um, all of their irrigation for next uh, spring and summer. So we are watching that marketplace, but, you know, I don't think that we're trading it yet. It's a little too, too soon to be overly concerned about U.S. conditions, but if we go into the spring and, and we don't have a good um, moisture reset from the winter, then it becomes an issue down the road. So 
you know, we're at this pivotal point, and a lot of it, as you said, depends on weather. We're talking about demand going forward. Could prices go higher from here? They could, but it really depends on weather. So we saw what Mother Nature is capable of and, and how um, humbling it can be when she comes in and takes over. Uh, so just, again, be aware of what can make this market move higher from here or what could be the last black swan for 2020 and make prices fall to their knees. So I'm just aware of either scenario that could happen and want to make sure producers are just really, again, aware of what's in front of them right now. If China started canceling a lot of uh, sales, would that would the market see a big hit then? I would view it more as a correction. I don't know that they would cancel a lot of sales because where they bought was cheap, you know, plenty cheaper from where mm -hmm. things are right now. So I don't think they're going to do a lot of cancellations. And, of course, there's the concern that the South American crop may not be overly large. So I think they would do it more as a gameplay to try to get Biden's attention or uh, just the market's attention. But at this stage, because the fundamentals have shifted so much to being supportive, um, if it's just a minimum cancellation, it might end up just being a buying opportunity for heading into 2021. But definitely with a, a year full of bad news and big challenges, one of the things to be thankful for this Thanksgiving for farmers is a, a lot better uh, picture when it comes to markets they have better choices and better options than they've had in quite some time yeah and that is definitely a blessing uh, to be thankful for as crazy as 2020 has been and um, you know when you have some time this winter make sure you're taking time to look at marketing strategies and get brushed up on those marketing skills because mm -hmm. the volatility is probably going to continue into 2021 all right naomi good to talk with you again we'll stay in touch and have a happy thanksgiving Thank you. Same to you. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Stuart Peterson. With that, we wrap it up for today. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today.